Have you ever tried um, to go hiking in an area where there was less than kind of solid ground, um, where even maybe in an area where you're on a side of a cliff, or not a cliff, but side of a mountain where it's just kind of falling away, that there's loose gravel? Um, it's really hard. Those are tough hikes. I'm sure Deb's been in places where it just kind of slides every step. And I was reminded of one of those, one of those hikes years ago on Mount Lindsay, um, uh, 14 years, a little farther south. It's been so long, I, I, I'd have to look on a map to find it for sure. But I, we went and uh, went with an experienced um, hiker with us and climber that went with us, and we camped out, and then the next morning we got out, and we started up Mount Lindsay, and um, it's a beautiful hike um, up. I think it was early spring at the time. And we got up to a ridge where we were able to see the peak of Mount Lindsay, and um, we saw that the, the normal route up was packed with snow. And we are like, oh, man, how, how are we going to get up? So we decided to take a, a, another route around and ended up in uh, on the, the, the side of that peak. But it was just small rocks that were loose. And, and every step was kind of you lost a little bit of ground as you kind of tried to navigate around and find another way up to up Mount Lindsay, and it was just exhausting. And we did it, I don't know, we were maybe 45 minutes trying to go around. We just were not making progress, and we're like, this is foolish. What are we doing? There's no way we're going to get around uh, this side of the peak here. So we just, we slowly then made our way back up to the ridge, and that was exhausting. And so we were just spent. We got to the ridge, but then we could see that we were even closer to getting up the peak, and we saw that the main route up, and then the ice and snow, and we're like, We've just got to do it. There's just something you just lose your brain when you see the peak, and you're like, we can do it. So we're already exhausted, and so we tried the, the icy way up, and um, it was a, a harrowing climb, and I think I still have bad dreams when I have, I'm falling because um, of the uh, fear that was in my heart as we went up, but we got to the top, but then you're like, well, how do we get down? Because we can't go down that way, and we know the backside, it's all this loose rock, and then in front of us, the only other way was going through a boulder field. And we're like, oh my goodness, this is going to be another exhausting time. And so again, not solid ground, but well, more solid. There's big boulders, but you're up and down and up and down. We were more than spent because you're, at that point, you're now 13,000, 12,000 feet and just going up and down. And when we got back to the ridge on the trail, we just sat there and we're like, whoa. <laughs> And sang praises to God because we're like finally solid ground because we would have been above 12,000 feet on unsolid ground for all day. And it was just exhausting. But there's times um, in life where we do that, where we're like, okay, I I see the way that I'm I'm called to. I see God's design this way, but I think I'm going to go around the backside. And you just continually just lose ground and lose ground and lose ground. You're like, well, okay, that wasn't working, but maybe there's another route without um, maybe going after the way that God's called me to. And this is the icy road. And then you end up in the boulder field or whatever it might be and just exhausted. And here in the Psalms, we have this Psalm of David. And he has this great claim of integrity. But we see as we walk through this, that his life is such. He's been on a journey. There's been progression as we look in the Psalms and we look at the life of David, but he is on trusting in the Lord in such a way that he's without wavering. Or maybe you're, so you have the King James that says without slipping, without sliding. 
And then at the end, it talks about on solid ground, on level ground. He finds in the walk that he rests in the way that the Lord God has called him to, and he rests in it. So as we begin, um, I don't have a, as clean of a, an outline as I normally do. So again, some of you will love it, some of you will hate it because of personalities, but it's okay. So uh, we're going to begin, though. It's not even exactly a point, just kind of a theme, a main theme as we look through this psalm. There's this life changed by the mercy and grace and steadfast love of our God that we see. Let me just read the first couple of verses and the, the last couple. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without pain. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. And then we see that it ends in a similar way. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me. Be gracious to me. My footsteps are on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. So here, David, the psalmist writes, King David writes this. You see, it's of David. And he finds himself walking in integrity, in the Lord God, in his loving kindness, not wavering, not sliding, but planted solid on level ground and walking with the Lord God. And we do see a little bit of a shift in parallel. The Psalms, although uh, they don't always necessarily correspond in the way that they're packed together, but there, a lot of times, though, there are overlaps within a psalm that's next to each other. And we see themes in that. We see that even in these passages as we look back. Let's look back just a little bit of Psalm 25. Let me read some verses from Psalm 25. Just a psalm right before it. Verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me, let me not be put to shame. Then verse 4, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth. And teach me, for you the God of my salvation, for you I'll wait all day long. I will hope all day long. I'll wait. So this call, teach me, lead me, guide me, put me on the path so I can walk in integrity. And the cry out to God for this. Verse 6 and 7, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Remember that. That's one of my favorite parts in that psalm where he says, God, don't remember me according to my sins of my youth or my sins. Don't remember me in that way. Remember me according to your love and your steadfastness, steadfast love, your character. Remember that. Don't remember my sin. Remember your character and your love that you've poured out upon me. Remember that. Look on me and, and see your love. And then continues, verse 8 and 9, just remembering this path that the psalmist is on. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in their way. So we've got to, comes in and he instructs those who are far from him. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant. And we see then now in Psalm 26, he's walking in these ways. He's been led by the Lord. And then uh, verse 11 for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. This is my sin, my guilt is great. Pardon me. Forgive me. And then verse 21, or yeah, 21, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. So he says, just that cry out to God. May, may, may your, my integrity and uprightness, may it preserve me. He's crying out that he would be one who would walk in integrity. So this prayer, wait, for I wait for you. 
I wait upon you. So there's this progression here. And now we see David, he's walking in integrity. He's one who's been weighed down by the weight of enemies attacking him. We see in, in Psalm 25 and even that of that inside attack of remembrance of sin and, and current sin. And yet a call to cry, guide me, lead me in the path of your steadfast love. And here now in Psalm 26, we see that he is, has been led. He's been guided and he's walking in truth. He's walking in the integrity of the way that God has called him out to, walking as one who is upright. But two, we see in verse 11 that he's still one that says, redeem me, be gracious to me. He still recognizes that he needs to be rescued. He needs the forgiveness that can only come from the Lord God. He needs the grace of God. He needs the undeserved love and mercy and steadfast love of God poured out upon him. And as David, as we see here, as he calls to, to vindicate me, prove me, try me, that David's not saying that he is sinless, that he is blameless, uh, but um, he, is, he is one that still is in need of forgiveness. He's still in need of atonement. Where is he at as he does this? He's going to the house of the Lord. He's going to the temple. And that's where the Lord... Or are the, even during the time of David to the tabernacle, but the place where, where God demonstrated his presence amongst them and also called them to bring sacrifice required for forgiveness of sin. Um, so he goes to worship the one God and he knows that he is in need of forgiveness. But there seems to be an attack upon David, some false attack of accusation. And he's saying, I, I, am, I am one who is innocent in this cause and this call. So again in verse 1, vindicate me. Verse 2, prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. So essentially in this, he's saying, saying, Lord, look at everything. Um, There's nothing to hide. I lay all these things before the Lord. I've trusted in him, and he declares this innocence. Again, it's not sinlessness in all things, but in some certain manner of attack that's coming against him, he's saying, Lord, vindicate me in this. Um, I'm innocent in this. Or maybe David is speaking about general accusations against those who walk in the ways of the Lord. Um, But he's saying, Lord, vindicate me in this. And then the Psalm 2, I think we should note, before we get into kind of the middle of it, is that it's bookended by this this statement, "I, I have walked in my integrity. And then verse 11, But as for me, I shall walk... In my integrity. So this is a call, a statement that he wants to walk in the right way. He wants to walk honorably. And I'm walking in this way. And it's more than just this moral, legalistic integrity. One thing I love about our kids' school, level in class school, they have different core virtues that they're taught. Like just things to, to grab onto in life. But we remind them always of, say, one, one, of those, one of those core virtues is integrity, to walk in integrity. But remind them of all these core virtues. Can you do it on your own? Um, and the answer is, is no. We need Jesus to walk in any of these virtues. And so it's not just moralistically again. He ends the psalm. He says, redeem me. Be gracious to me. He recognizes his need for the redemption of the Lord and the grace of God. And then again, we, we see the confidence of David. He said, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to slip. I'm on solid ground now. He's no longer trying to traverse 
ways away from the Lord. Uh, the Lord has put him on, on solid ground, and he walks in that. So as we um, look at this, just some things you just kind of want to look through and walk through. And the first, first thing is in verse 1, verse C, the last part, I'm sorry, the last part of verse 1. And we see this walk of integrity. How is he walking in integrity? What does his life look like? What is he seeking to do? And I think the first thing we see is that we, he's trusting the Lord without wavering. He's trusting in the Lord without wavering, without sliding. We've talked about this, but his eyes are upon the Lord. He's waiting upon the Lord as he saw in Psalm 25. He's looking to the one true God, uh, putting his trust in him so he can walk in, in integrity. He can know that God's way is good and there's this trust that he, he walks in so he doesn't waver, he doesn't slip, he doesn't wobble. He's on level ground. He's put his hope in the one true God. He doesn't look inward uh, for truth. He looks to the Lord. And then verse 3 for your steadfast love is before me. So he just looks continually at the steadfast love of the Lord. This continually looking to the steadfast love, the character of God. He could say, he's saying, I'm mindful. I'm always aware of the steadfast love of God. It's always before me. And if you remember, that steadfast love, again, it's that Hebrew word hesed. That means that stubborn love of God. That mercy-filled love of God, that no-exit-plan type love of God. And that's the kind of love that he's looking to for the love of God, that, that compassion. And he's seeking to walk in integrity according to the love of the Lord God. And if we remember even just the character of God, as we've talked about how when God revealed himself to Moses... Again, how does he lead out? How does he speak about who he is? Exodus 34, 6 through 8. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is the kind of love he's looking to, and we see that steadfast love of the Lord that goes to thousands of generations. But two, we see that God does not clear the guilty. There is a reality that God is a good God who must justly judge sin and doesn't wink at sin. So we need the steadfast love. We need the grace. We need his forgiveness. So David, he looks to that stubborn love, to that never stopping, that never running dry, always ready to forgive type love. And when we look to that type of love of God, we don't have to cut corners. Uh, in things. We can trust that his way is better than the way that we think is good. And we get to be like, okay, actually that is good. And we can trust and we can walk in integrity. Not going by our own design. And we can trust God's design um, in his word. We can trust his design for family. We can trust his design for life. We can trust his design for rights and death. And we can trust his design that we can flourish in it because he is true and his love is steadfast and stable. Again, don't have to cut corners on the way that God has called us to. We don't have to compromise. So we can walk in integrity. Even if it means losing a job or losing a relationship or losing financial gain or whatever it means, we can say, no, the Lord is good. He's steadfast. 
Uh, it also means we don't have to embrace the, a new, the new ethic of our culture, wondering if God's design is still right. We don't have to. We can trust his steadfast love. It's a little bit like Eve in the Garden of Eden, where Satan comes in and says, Ah, you won't die. Uh, God, he's just holding out on you. But David says, no, I keep the steadfast love, the stubborn, never giving up love of God in front of me all the time. So I can walk in integrity. And we can walk in integrity when we put that in front of us. We don't have to compromise. We can know that his way is good. And then the second part of verse 3. I walk um, in your faithfulness. I walk in your faithfulness. Or maybe your translation says truth. Uh, because this is a word, again, as you translate from one language to another, it's words that have lots of meaning in them. And this is one of those. And I think almost every other translation other than ESV um, translates this word, walk in your truth. So David, he's walking in the faithfulness, the truth of God. This is from Mounts' um, expository dictionary from the Old Testament about this word. It's faithfulness, reliability, trustworthiness, truth, what conforms to reality in contrast to what is false. So our God is true. He is faithful. He says, I'm continually looking to the truth of God. I mentioned a, a couple weeks back, maybe, that I'm, in my Bible reading, part of it is in the Psalms, and it's in, I've been in Psalm 19, where they just give me a few verses um, every week, and just remembering again and again. Psalm 19 is all about God's Word, how it's good. It's better than, than, a, than a, a bucket of gold. <laughs> it's better than honey, and it says it's good. The, the truth of God is good. He's not looking to his own truth or to his own righteousness but he's looking to the truth and the faithfulness of God. That's good. He's experienced it. He's walking in it. Again, I, th- I think of the lies of Satan who came to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say? Did he really say that? Did he really say? But he did. And then Psalm 10, Psalm 25, verse 10 again. All the paths of the Lord, their steadfast love and faithfulness. Why would I want to go another path? But then that, that's full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Then continue, verses 4 and 5. I know you're getting a little worried where I was just breaking half a verse and half. I was like, he's not going to get very far. We're never going to get through this. I'm speeding up now. Okay, we're going we're gonna to ramp up here. 4 through 5. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. So he's walking not hand in hand with those who's Who's li- who are living a life in a rebellion of God. He's not walking hand in hand, life in life with them. Or another way you could say is he's not conforming to the patterns of this world. He- he's seeking to live um, by God's way and his word, which is good, by the grace of God. So what he- we see what he's not doing here. That he's not going down the laugh- life path of falsehood or hypocrisy or evil or wickedness or rebellion. But instead he's following after the Lord. He doesn't sit with them. He, he doesn't consort. He doesn't hang out. He doesn't um, spend his life um, with them in that way, with liars or hypocrites. He's not going to join in in the sense of just gathering or making his life, making, being comfortable where that is his life. That's where he sits. That's where he joins in and joins in with their sin and in with their rebellion and in with their um, wickedness. He's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sit in this. 
Now we know that Jesus, it says that Jesus, he was mocked because he was a friend of sinners, right? And he indeed is a friend of sinners. He sought them out, but he didn't get comfortable and join in with their wickedness. So there's a difference. We're called to be light and darkness, but not participate in that darkness. And David says, hey, I don't want to do that. I want to walk in integrity. And Psalm, maybe he's looking at Psalm 1, the very beginning of Psalm, maybe this echo. Maybe even you heard that, you're like, oh, that's, isn't that from Psalm 1? That starts out Psalm 1, 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who, who walks in the counsel, who, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sit in the way of sinners, nor stand in the, in the, I did that backwards. Let me try that again. Blessed is the man who does, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Again, there, there's that idea of walking with and, and sitting and standing and, and making life with those who are in rebellion from God. And he said, no, uh, I don't want to live a life apart from God's truth. Proverbs 4, 14 through 15 says it this way. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. And the idea of, of there's this path. Don't go down it. Just don't go there. So don't walk. Don't sit. Don't dwell in the midst of those who are walking in rebellion. And Though as God plants us in places and neighborhoods and workspaces where we're able to be a light to those who are far from him, we need to do that. We need to enter in and, and show them through your life how, how amazing and rock solid it is to go down God's design and his path and his ways and his truth. And we have opportunity to do that. So how good it is um, to follow after God's design. It's not backward. It's not crazy. But it's good. Life-giving. And then verses... 6 through 10. See, I told you I was going to speed up. 6 through 10, all right? So he's seeking to be in the presence of God and gathering with his people. Seeking to be in the presence of God and gathering. Verses 6 through 10. I wash my hands in innocence and, and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming the thanksgiving, th- proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not... Sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hand hands are full of bribes. So he, we see, now, what does he do? He wants to be in the presence of God and with God's people, with God's people in worship. And he wants to enter in even in a right manner to worship and to lift up thanksgiving to God. So he goes to the house of God. This is a place where they gathered in worship. And that, just as we gather with God's people in worship, and he washes his hands in innocence. He's preparing his, his heart and his life for worship as he goes and he washes. One commentary pointed out that even today, um, at the approaching of the Western Wall in Jerusalem, it says, provision is made for worshipers to wash their hands before entering the holy place um, that's, that's um, barricaded by or that where there are barriers. And we also know, as the commentary goes on, that the southern steps leading up to the Temple Mount contained numerous ritual baths where worshipers could cleanse themselves before entering into worship. So there's a preparation, an outward sign of inward things going on. Charles Spurgeon, he said this as we prepare, even for as we go to worship, says, there should be some preparation of the heart in coming to worship of God. 
Consider who he is and whose name we gather. And surely we cannot rush together without thought. Consider whom we profess to worship. And we shall not hurry into his presence as men run to fire. So just the idea that we come, even we need to come with just prepared hearts on a Sunday, a Saturday evening, preparing our hearts to come and worship our God. So he washes his hands, this picture of a clean heart inside and out. Psalm 24 that we studied last summer, verses 3 through 4, said it this way, Who ascends the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. So this is a call of clean hands, that idea of, of our actions and our deeds being without sin and free from guilt, trying to walk, as we seek to walk in integrity by His grace, and also that pure heart, that well, a desire to have thoughts and intentions that are um, blameless before our Lord. And only, how can we do that? Who has clean hands? Who has clean thoughts this morning? Uh, we need Jesus. We're reminded these verses point us to the one who fully has who fully walked without sin, fully clean hands, fully clean heart, and we need him, and we need his forgiveness. First Peter 2, 22, 25, what that speaks about Jesus, says that this about him. Jesus, he, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. He himself... Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of our soul. Amen? Um, He bore our sins in his body that we can walk in righteousness. And then later Peter says in chapter 3, 18, For Christ also suffered once for sin... The righteous one for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Putting to death, put, being put to, to death in the flesh, but alive in the spirit. So we see this, that he's redeemed and washed. And what's the response that, in verse 6, second part and 7? That he, he goes around the altar of God proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and, and telling of the wondrous deeds of God. So as he is one who is redeemed and washed and goes with clean hands, he goes and worships. And he is filled with just singing praise to God. And that's what we do. That's what we're called to do as we gather together. We're reminded that we are forgiven. If that we have turned and we've trusted in Jesus, then he washes all that away. And we might go to him and worship and thanksgiving and praise. As I was studying this this week, I was reminded of the story in the, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 7, where Jesus, he's with a group of religious leaders. He's in the house of Simon. And this woman comes in, um, and she comes in, and she begins to, to cry, and she cries, and she uses her tears to wash the feet of Jesus. He, she uses her hair to, to dry his feet and anoints his feet, and, and it states that she's a sinful woman. And then Simon and the other Pharisees that are there, they're like, this Jesus, he's not a prophet because he would never let the sinful woman come and, and wash his feet. And most likely, it doesn't say there, but most likely she was a prostitute. She came in. 
And then Jesus, he tells this parable and he talks about how there is this money lender who lended one person 500 denarii and another 50. And then he wipes their debts clean. And then Jesus asks, which one was more thankful? The one that was forgiven 500 or 50? And the Pharisees, Simon's like, well, the 500. And then Jesus refers that to the woman, that she's been forgiven much, so she loves much. And then he says, Jesus says to the woman in Luke 7, 48, he says, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this who can even forgive sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go. So we see one, Psalm 25 He said, man, my sin, it it weighs me down full of guilt. And now he's able to go with clean hands before Jesus. Before before God in worship. And then verses 8 and 10. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil, de- evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. So there's this call just to go and to worship. He just desires to go and worship God. Psalm 24 we're going to look at tomorrow, or not tomorrow. If you come back tomorrow, we'll go, go through it. No. <laughs> Now, I'm not preaching tomorrow at the 4th of July thing. I'm not ready yet. So, so Psalm um, 27 says this. Oh, one thing have I asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of His temple. So he says, saying this, I just want to be in the habitation of God, which would mean being with God's people as well in worship. He said, one thing I don't, the opposite of that would be to be pulled away, to dwell for eternity with those who are in rebellion, have rejected you, whose hands are full of bloodshed and evil devices. He said, I don't want that. I want to instead be in your place and your worship with your people forgiven. That's his desire. As I thought about this psalm and thought about this call to walk in integrity, I can't help but think of Jesus because I think of a life changed by, just the final point there, a life changed by the only true righteous and blameless one. The only hope we have is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I, I can't read this without thinking about the redemption. He says, redeem me, be gracious. Where does our redemption and our grace come from? From Jesus Christ. And these Psalms look ahead to Jesus as we think about them. And he continues to pour out his grace upon us that we can live a life where we're not just traveling around, slipping through paths that just just pile us up and rock. Or maybe we find, we go, oh, let's let's try the icy way. Oh, no, that's not working so well. How about the boulder field? We said, no, no, walk with me. Jesus in all circumstances, in all things, in all ways, in all thought, in all action, in all motivation of heart can claim innocence and being one who is fully full of integrity and blameless. Only Jesus. But he calls us to trust in him that he might pour out his righteousness upon him. And that when Christ, when God the Father sees us, he sees the actions and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're all that woman who came to Jesus. 
And if we come and we turn from our sins and trust in him, he's ready and willing to say, you're forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go. You're free. So we're called to, uh, to trust in the steadfast love of the Lord, his path and his ways and his design. We can find great hope in it. This morning, uh, I was reading uh, just a, this book is called Streams of Mercy. It's Prayers of Confession and Celebration. Just kind of, I've mentioned, there's times that I just don't know how to pray. Uh, so I need books just to kind of guide my heart, my thought. And this is one of those. And, and it ended with uh, these words from Jesus. John eleven twenty five through 26 and John five twenty four through 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Truly I say, truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes them, believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in him, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. We're reminded that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. When we trust in him, we pass from death to life. We can be those who say, I walk in integrity without slipping, without wavering, without wobbling. He set me on level ground He's been gracious to me. Let's pray. Dear Father, God, we're reminded today of our desperate need for you and even our call just to walk in integrity according to your design and your words and your way. And we need your help in that. But we thank you that we can trust you. We don't have to cut corners. We don't have to compromise. We can trust in your design and your word and your way. We thank you for that. Help us to rest in that. Help us to trust in you. Help us to rest in the, the steadfast love and grace of Jesus poured out upon us. And I pray this morning still to Lord, if there be any have yet to trust in you as Lord and Savior, Lord, help them even this morning to see how good it is to turn from sin and trust in you as Lord and Savior this morning. Lord, we need your help. Help us to not continue just to, to spend our life um, going on routes uh, that are in rebellion and rejection of your ways. But Lord, help us to walk in integrity, trusting your goodness, your graciousness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we, we get to celebrate that this morning.